Welcome to Daily Airs. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. There's something new on Airs LA every day. I'm your host, Annette Bro, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History, brought to you from A&E Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. February 13. On this date in science history in the year 1633, Galileo arrives in Rome to face charges of heresy. Italian philosopher, astronomer, and mathematician Galileo Galilei arrives in Rome to face charges of heresy for advocating Copernican theory, which holds that the Earth revolves around the Sun. Galileo officially faced the Roman Inquisition in April of that same year and agreed to plead guilty in exchange for a lighter sentence. Put under house arrest indefinitely by Pope Urban VIII, Galileo spent the rest of his days in his villa in Arcetri, near Florence, before dying on January 8, 1642. Galileo, the son of a musician, was born February 15, 1564, in Pisa, in which is today known as Italy. He entered the University of Pisa, planning to study medicine, but shifted his focus to philosophy and mathematics. In 1589, he became a professor at Pisa for several years during which time he had demonstrated that the speed of a falling object is not proportional to its weight, as Aristotle had believed. According to some reports, Galileo conducted his research by dropping objects of different weights from the Leaning Tower of Pisa. From 1592 to 1630, Galileo was a math professor at the University of Padua, where he developed a telescope that enabled him to observe lunar mountains and craters, the four largest moons of Jupiter, and the phases of Venus. He also discovered that the Milky Way was made up of stars. Following the publication of his research in 1610, Galileo gained acclaim and was appointed court mathematician at Florence. Galileo's research led him to become an advocate of the work of the Polish astronomer Nicholas Copernicus. However, the Copernican theory of a sun-centered solar system conflicted with the teachings of the powerful Roman Catholic Church, which essentially ruled Italy at the time. Church teachings contended that Earth, not the sun, was the center of the universe. In 1633, Galileo was brought before the Roman Inquisition, a judicial system established by the papacy in 1542 to regulate church doctrine. This included the banning of books that conflicted with church teachings. The Roman Inquisition had its roots in the Inquisition of the Middle Ages, the purpose of which was to seek out and prosecute heretics considered enemies of the state. Today, Galileo is recognized for making important contributions to the study of motion and astronomy. His work influenced later scientists, such as the English mathematician and physicist Sir Isaac Newton, who developed the law of universal gravitation. In 1992, the Vatican formally acknowledged its mistake in condemning Galileo. February 14. On this date in history, in the year 1886, the first trainload of oranges leaves Los Angeles. Destined to become one of the state's major exports, the first trainload of oranges grown by Southern California farmers 
leaves Los Angeles via the Transcontinental Railroad. The Spanish had established Los Angeles, one of the oldest cities in the Far West, in 1781 to help colonize the region. For several decades, the city was the largest center of population in Mexican California. Mexican settlement and development of California, however, proceeded very slowly, and Los Angeles developed little real economic or political power during this period. By the time the U.S. took control of California in 1848, Los Angeles still only had just over 1,610 inhabitants. As Anglo-Americans began to assert their control over California, they gradually broke up the Hispanic ranches and replaced them with a more diversified farming economy. With irrigation, Southern California proved an ideal environment for growing many crops, particularly valuable fruits like oranges. During the 1870s and 1880s, state railroad lines linking Los Angeles into a new system of transcontinental railways created additional money-making opportunities. Settlers, tourists, and health seekers all boarded trains to travel to the Pacific, where the sunny climate and beautiful scenery promised a new and better life. The healthful new California lifestyle became closely associated in the public mind with the sweet fruits that grew so abundantly in the orchards around Los Angeles. Taking advantage of the rapid transportation capabilities of the transcontinental lines, Los Angeles-area orchard owners began shipping their oranges to the east in 1886. As the city grew, it subdivided many nearby orchards and pushed the orange growers out into regions like Orange County. There, the orange growers steadily increased the size of their orchards to the point where local suppliers of water for irrigation were inadequate. Determined to sustain their agricultural and real estate booms, Los Angeles residents undertook a massive program of hydraulic engineering in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Engineers took water from the distant mountains to transform the arid Southern California ecosystem into a green agricultural and residential paradise. The resulting growth was astonishing. In 1880, just before the first trainload of oranges departed, Los Angeles had 11,183 inhabitants. A decade later, the population had ballooned to 102,479. By 1920, there would be more than a half a million residents. Los Angeles was already well on its way to becoming the largest urban center in the American West. February 15. On this date in film history in the year 1950, Disney's Cinderella opens in theaters. Walt Disney's animated feature Cinderella opens in theaters across the United States. The Chicago-born Disney began his career as an advertising cartoonist in Kansas City. After arriving in Hollywood in 1923, he and his oldest brother, Roy, set up shop in the back of a real estate office and began making a series of animated short films called Alice in Cartoon Land, featuring various animated characters. In 1928, he introduced the now-immortal character of Mickey Mouse in two silent movies. That November, Mickey debuted on the big screen in Steamboat Willie, the first fully synchronized sound cartoon ever made. Walt Disney provided Mickey's squeaky voice himself. The company went on to produce a series of sound cartoons such as Silly Symphony Series, which included The Three Little Pigs in 1933 
and introduced characters like Donald Duck and Goofy. Disney made a risky bet in 1937 when he championed and put $1.5 million of his own money into Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the first ever full-length animated feature film. The risk paid off in spades after the film grossed $8 million at the box office, an incredible sum during the Great Depression. Four more animated hits followed in the growing Disney canon, Pinocchio in 1940, Fantasia in 1940, Dumbo in 1941, and Bambi in 1942, before full-scale production was stalled by wartime economic problems. By the end of the decade, audiences were eagerly awaiting the next great Disney offering, having had to satisfy themselves with so-called package films like Make Mine Music in 1946 and Melody Time in 1948. Cinderella, based on another brother's grim fairy tale, was chosen for its similarity to the Snow White story. The film's immediate source was Charles Perrault's French version of the fairy tale which tells the story of a young girl whose father dies, leaving her at the mercy of her oppressive stepmother and two unsympathetic stepsisters. As in Snow White, Cinderella gets the help of a few friends, in this case, singing mice and birds, as well as a fairy godmother to escape the prison of her servitude and win the heart of Prince Charming. Along the way, to its happy ending, a Disney trademark, the film featured lively animation sequences and enduring songs like A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes and the Oscar-nominated Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo. Six years in the making, Cinderella became one of Disney's best-loved films and one of the largest grossing features of 1950. As with Snow White and other classical animated features, the studio held periodic re-releases of Cinderella in 1957, 1965, 1973, 1981, and 1987, keeping its popularity active among new generations of moviegoers. February 16. On this date in history, in the year 1878, silver dollars are made legal. Strongly supported by Western mining interests and farmers, the Bland-Allison Act, which provided for a return of the minting of silver coins, becomes the law of the land. The strife and controversy surrounding the coinage of silver is difficult for most modern Americans to understand. But in the late 19th century, it was a topic of keen political and economic interest. Today, the value of American money is essentially secured by faith in the stability of the government. But during the 19th century, money was generally backed by actual deposits of silver and gold, the so-called bimetallic standard. The U.S. also minted both gold and silver coins. In 1873, Congress decided to follow the lead of many European nations and cease buying silver and minting silver coins, both because silver was relatively scarce and to simplify the monetary system. Exacerbated by a variety of other factors, this led to a financial panic. When the government stopped buying silver, prices naturally dropped, and many owners of primarily western silver mines were hurt. Likewise, farmers and others who carried substantial debt loads attacked the so-called crime of 73. They believed, somewhat simplistically, that it caused a tighter supply of money, which in turn made it more difficult for them to pay off their debts. A nationwide drive to return to the bimetallic standard gripped the nation, and many Americans came to place a near-mystical faith in the ability of silver to solve their economic difficulties. 
The leader of the fight to remonetize silver was the Missouri Congressman Richard Bland. Having worked in mining and having witnessed the struggles of small farmers, Bland became a fervent believer in the silver cause, earning him the nickname Silver Dick. With the backing of powerful Western mining interests, Bland secured passage of the Bland-Allison Act, which became law on this day in 1878. Although the act did not provide for a return to the old policy of unlimited silver coinage, it did require the U.S. Treasury to resume purchasing silver and minting silver dollars as legal tender. Americans could once again use silver coins as legal tender, and this helped some struggling Western mining operations. However, the act had little economic impact, and it failed to satisfy the more radical desires and dreams of the silver backers. The battle over the use of silver and gold continued to occupy Americans well into the 20th century. February 17. On this day in automotive history in the year 1972, the Beetle overtakes the Model T as the world's best-selling car. The 15,734th Volkswagen Beetle comes off the assembly line, breaking a world car production record held for more than four decades by the Ford Motor Company's iconic Model T, which was in production from 1908 to 1927. The history of the VW Beetle dates back to 1930s Germany. In 1933, Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany and announced he wanted to build new roads and affordable cars for the German people. At that time, Austrian-born engineer Ferdinand Porsche was already working on creating a small car for the masses. Hitler and Porsche later met and the engineer was charged with designing the inexpensive mass-produced Volkswagen, or people's car. Hitler's plan was that people could buy the cars by making regular payments into a saving stamp program. In 1938, work began on the Volkswagen factory, located in present-day Wolfsburg, Germany. However, full-scale vehicle production didn't begin until after World War II. In the 1950s, the Volkswagen arrived in the U.S. where the initial reception was tepid, due in part to the car's historic Nazi connection as well as its small size and unusual rounded shape, which later led to it being dubbed the Beetle. In 1959, the advertising agency Doyle Dane Burbach launched a groundbreaking campaign that promoted the car's diminutive size as a distinct advantage to its customers, and over the next several years, VW became the top-selling auto import in the U.S. In 1998, Volkswagen began selling the highly touted new Beetle while still continuing production of its predecessor. After more than 60 years and over 21 million vehicles produced, the last original Beetle rolled off the line in Puebla, Mexico on July 30, 2003. The world's original best-selling car, Henry Ford's Model T, first went into production at a Detroit, Michigan plant in 1908. Referred to as the car that put the world on wheels, the Model T revolutionized the automotive industry and American society in general by providing affordable, reliable transportation for the average person. In 1913, Ford Motor Company began employing the moving assembly line at its plant in Highland Park, Michigan, which reduced the assembly speed of a chassis from 12 hours and 8 minutes to 1 hour and 33 minutes. The following year, Ford produced 308,162 vehicles, more than the output of all other car makers combined. In 1924, the 10 millionth 
Model T came off the assembly line. When production finally ended after 19 years in May 1927, over 15 million Model Ts had been built. February 18. On this date in film history in the year 1929, the first Academy Awards are announced. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announces the winners of the first Academy Awards on February 18, 1929. It was a far cry from the suspense, glamour, and endless press coverage surrounding the Oscars today. The first award recipients' names were printed on the back page of the Academy's newsletter. A few days later, Variety published the information on page 7. The ceremony was then held in May. Spearheaded by movie mogul Louis B. Mayer, the Academy was organized in May 1927 as a nonprofit organization dedicated to the advancement and improvement of the film industry. The first awards went to movies produced in 1927 and 1928. Though the announcements were made in February 1929, the actual awards weren't given out until May 16, 1929, in a ceremony and banquet held in the Blossom Room of the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. Some 270 people attended the dinner, paying $5 each for a ticket. The first Academy Award winners received gold statuettes designed by art director Cedric Gibbons and sculpted by George Stanley. The Academy's first president, the silent film actor Douglas Fairbanks, handed out the statuettes to the winners, who included Janet Gaynor for Best Actress for three different films, Seventh Heaven, Street Angel, and Sunrise, and the German-born Emil Jannings for The Last Command and The Way of All Flesh for Best Actor. Frank Borzage and Louis Milestone both won Best Director awards for Seventh Heaven and Two Arabian Nights, respectively. Best Picture honors went to Wings, the World War I drama directed by William Wellman. In the second year of its awards, the Academy changed its policy and began releasing the names of each year's winners to the press at 11 p.m. on the night of the awards ceremony. This practice ended in 1940 after the Los Angeles Times broke from tradition and published the results in its evening edition, which meant they were revealed before the ceremony. The Academy subsequently instituted a system of sealed envelopes, which remains in use today. The awards weren't nicknamed Oscars until 1931, when a secretary at the Academy noted the statue's resemblance to her Uncle Oscar and a journalist printed her remark. The awards were broadcast on radio until 1953, when the first televised Oscars program aired. Since then, the Academy Awards have become one of the world's most watched television events. Hosts have included Will Rogers, Jack Benny, Johnny Carson, Billy Crystal, Whoopi Goldberg, Steve Martin, Chris Rock, and Jon Stewart. February 19. On this date in history, in the year 1847, the Donner Party is rescued from the Sierra Nevada mountains. The first rescuers reach surviving members of the Donner Party, a group of California-bound immigrants stranded by snow in the Sierra Nevada mountains. In the summer of 1846, in the midst of a western-bound fever sweeping the United States, 89 people, including 31 members of the Donner and Reed families, set out in a wagon train from Springfield, Illinois. After arriving at Fort Bridger, Wyoming, the emigrants decided to avoid the usual route and try a new trail recently blazed by California promoter Lansford Hastings, the so-called Hastings Cutoff. 
After electing George Donner as their captain, the party departed Fort Bridger in mid-July. The shortcut was nothing of the sort. It set the Donner party back nearly three weeks and cost them much-needed supplies. After suffering great hardships in the Wasatch Mountains, the Great Salt Lake Desert, and along the Humboldt River, they finally reached the Sierra Nevada Mountains in early October. Despite the lateness of the season, the emigrants continued to press on, and on October 28, they camped at Truckee Lake, located in the high mountains 21 kilometers northwest of Lake Tahoe. Overnight, an early winter storm blanketed the ground with snow, blocking the mountain pass and trapping the Donner Party. Most of the group stayed near the lake, now known as Donner Lake, while the Donner family and others made camp six miles away at Alder Creek. Building makeshift tents out of their wagons and killing their oxen for food, they hoped for a thaw that never came. Fifteen of the stronger immigrants, later known as the Forlorn Hope, set out west on snowshoes for Sutter's Fort on December 16. Three weeks later, after harsh weather and lack of supplies killed several of the expedition and forced the others to resort to cannibalism, seven survivors reached a Native American village. News of the stranded Donner Party traveled fast to Sutter's Fort, and a rescue party set out on January 31. Arriving at Donner Lake 20 days later, they found the camp completely snowbound and the surviving emigrants delirious with relief at their arrival. Rescuers fed the starving group as well as they could and then began evacuating them. Three more rescue parties arrived for help, but the return to Sutter's Fort proved equally harrowing, as the last survivors didn't reach safety until late April. Of the 89 original members of the Donner Party, only 45 reached California. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for February 13 through February 19. If you'd like to learn more about Airs LA, including streaming audio, podcasts, and more, we invite you to connect or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then, thanks for listening.